All right, glad you're with us. A uh, busy, big, breaking news day pretty much all over the place. We now have a ratcheting up in the conflict, the battle that seems to be emerging with Iran as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is uh, in Saudi Arabia. Um, The coalition seems real. The Saudis doubted, apparently for a short period of time, the idea that the Iranians were responsible. That is no longer in doubt. We'll get to that. Uh, we have the Israeli elections. They they have the most screwed up system. If you think swinging, hanging, dimpled, pimpled uh, chads were bad, I mean, it is that much worse in Israel for a lot of different factors. And it's like a stalemate every time they now have an election. There's only so many times you can keep asking people to go back to vote. Um, what is the outcome of that? Nobody knows at this hour. As it, but it does look like, you know, the right block coalition, as the prime minister has said just not that long ago, uh, rock solid and would give them not quite the 61 seats that they need for the majority in the Knesset. But the fact that the blue and white party would need on uh, this is with Benny Gantz, that they would need, okay, the Arab coalition, well, that's 12 Knesset seats, and then you have this this oddball Lieberman who was just out there causing trouble. He was the one after BB won the last election in, in April and had a governing coalition, except this guy said, no, I don't want BB. All right, so now he won't, he's now stated repeatedly, well, he's not going to align with the Arab coalition. That means, okay, red and blue doesn't have a coalition. Now they all want a unity government where they alternate, go back and forth. Gans, Bibi, prime minister. It's, I, whoever heard of a system like this, it's so ridiculously messed up, but it is what it is. And it's a parliamentary system and you got all these smaller parties and everybody and every party has a specific agenda. And to thread that needle is is beyond ridiculous in, in a multitude of ways. Um, so we'll get to that. We have a lot of 2020 news today, including Jimmy Carter saying Biden and Bernie are too old to be president. Uh oh, problem. Um, then we've got the latest in the Kavanaugh case. Oh, all of a sudden just came out of nowhere. Yeah, the Democrats are now backing down as it relates to the New York Times Kavanaugh smear and the Kavanaugh lie. We'll get to all of that. I want to start first. I mean, this is pretty This is a really amazing moment. I think when you look at the Democrats and what they tried to do and their love and their passion and their commitment to all things impeaching Donald Trump. So Corey Lewandowski goes back before the committee yesterday of, yes, Mr. Crazy impeachment. We don't know the reason yet, but we know we'll do it one day. And that would be, of course, Jerry Nadler, the congressman of New York. Now, what's so funny about Nadler is that You know, if he cared about and the Democrats on the committee cared about obstruction, well, they would have looked at Hillary and the subpoenaed emails deleted and bleach bit and busted devices, removal of SIM card. That would have been obstruction. If they cared about Russian interference, well, they probably would have looked a little bit at, um, oh, let's see, maybe the dirty Russian dossier that two and a half years late, the New York Times that devoted an entire newsroom to one story, Russia, 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 Trump, 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 collusion, collusion. I hope we impeach him. I hope we impeach him. Yeah, well, they now recognize the dirty dossier was, in fact, likely Russian disinformation from the beginning. A side note of mere unimportance, I guess. But the lie that's been told the American people, people do need to know the truth. 
And the truth in that case would be that, yeah, it was Russian disinformation, but that means that the Russians who gave the false information to Christopher Steele, knowing it was going to Hillary Clinton to help her campaign, that sounds to me like the Russians were looking to sow discord and strongly supported Hillary's run for the presidency. In other words, the opposite of what it is that you've heard from the media. Now, then we've got so we're at this point where they don't care about Russian interference. They don't care about Ukrainian interference. They only care about Russian interference if it can be tied to Donald Trump. They don't care about election interference in general, or they would care about the evidence Ukraine is offering us of how they tried to help rig the election for Hillary Clinton. And they were interfering in our elections. If they cared about obstruction, they'd be all over the bleach bit, the hammers and the deletions. If they cared about the rule of law, they would have been all over the Espionage Act and top secret classified information on Hillary's server. If they cared about, for example, Justice Kavanaugh, the way they all claim and the I believers, well, they'd be I believing all over the place about the lieutenant governor of the Commonwealth, Virginia. And the yeah, very credible to me. Allegations made by two women, one rape and one violent sexual assault, but no I believers, interestingly enough, which means this is all about politics to them. This is all, all about selective moral outrage. And this is why this coming election in 2020 probably matters more than anything. Now, I'm going to tell you something. They don't care. This is a mob, a mob mentality. That's why I call it the media mob. They're never going to stop. They don't want to get the truth to you, we, the people. They don't care about that. And they wake up and it's every single second of every hour of every day. You know, they still, Corey Lewandowski is brought back yesterday. Democrats, pundits, leftists in the media, they are apoplectic. Rick Wilson on one of these fake news conspiracy channels. If you can't, you Democrats can't handle Corey Lewandowski. Well, how could they proceed with impeachment or, you know, the worst, dumbest lawyer on television that works for fake news, CNN, Jeffrey Tubin. Trump orders to Lewandowski are clear evidence of obstruction. Corey knew it, you know, and then the Democrats themselves, you know, Corey Lewandowski erupts when he's on fake news, CNN and, He's asked, you know, questioning his lying to the press. Are you a journalist or you're talking head? OK, he's, he answered that pretty cleverly, in my view. And he said, yeah, well, they lie on the media all the time. So I don't have any problems, you know, saying what I feel I need to say politically, because that's what they're that's the game they're playing, which is an interesting take. But when I'm under oath, I tell the truth. Anyway, several instances, you know, now that well, we now maybe need to hold them in contempt. Or what about, you know, Lewandowski and, and Mueller report? After he admits he didn't read it. So he's asking them the whole time. Oh, can you show me where that is, sir, in the Mueller report? Because he's there to talk about that. And they had that agreement one time. That was it. I'll, I'll discuss the issues in the Mueller report. Nothing more. And I mean, you look at this and I am telling you the the the, the incredible lack of ability of Democrats to to take on Corey Lewandowski ran rings around them. Here's some of this from yesterday. The White House's obstruction of Congress ranges across nearly every committee and virtually every investigation of the administration. We had Mr. Mueller here. Had a long day of it. 
Judging by all accounts, it didn't go real well. This has been more obstruction of Congress by this administration, and you followed their instructions, and you're doing just exactly what they thought you'd do. You're a loyal soldier. The president is falsely accused of colluding with a foreign state to impact the election. Jim Comey, when we deposed him at that very table, said after 10 months of investigation, we didn't have a thing. Bob Mueller gets named special counsel. He wastes $30 million of taxpayer money, 22-month investigation. He sits at that table just a few weeks ago and gives the same darn answer. But these guys over here, they don't care. The president can hide behind you any longer. And you should be here to be telling the truth. General Lady Lewandowski, because the truth will set you free and the American people. I yield back. The time of the gentle lady has expired. The witness may answer the question. I don't believe there was a question, Congressman. Very well. Yes, there was. Again, Congressman, I recognize that the privilege is not mine, but I've been this asked by the White public, House to... Uh, Congressman, I'd be happy to answer your question, or you can just have a conversation by yourself. But if you'd like to ask me a question, no, I'll be happy I, to answer I'm going it. to continue. The reason is... Well, then don't ask me a question if I'm you want to hear my answer. my time. This is a House judiciary, not a House party. Are you the hit man, the bag man, the lookout, or all of the above? I think I'm the good-looking man, actually. Are you ashamed of the words that you wrote down? President Swalwell, I'm very happy of what I've written, but you're welcome to read it if you'd like. I mean, it is devastating. They had no idea from the opening minutes when Corey Lewandowski said, where in the Mueller report does that appear, sir? Is I'm not asking you in the Mueller. I said, well, you just referred to it. Can you show me to, you know, so I can, you know, have a better recall what it is that you're asking? And then, of course, Nadler then has to struggle. And then he had to get a, a, a copy of the Mueller report. I mean, it was a comedy of errors if it wasn't, on the other hand, so serious. Because from, you know, watching this yesterday, Corey Lewandowski is making mincemeat out of a Nadler and company. I mean, I bet Nadler wishes he chose somebody else. And nobody else, by the way, is coming. Because everybody else has spent all this time, all this effort, literally going into every aspect of this between hearings. Corey Lewandowski has been to that committee twice. He's been to the Senate committee. He's been spent 15 hours with with Robert Mueller's group. And Lewandowski just slammed them as Trump haters, criticized the House Judiciary Committee Democrats, making him appear before their panel again in an impeachment hearing that quickly descended into total and utter chaos and he brightly pointed out, we've spent over three years, $40 million in these investigations. And he says it's now clear the investigation was populated by many Trump haters who had their own agenda or to try to take down a duly elected president of the United States. This is not what they thought they were getting yesterday. And of the Democrats, he said at one point, I think they just hate his this president more than they love this country. Ouch. And Lewandowski, well, the first witness, but the others are saying, no, thanks. We're not coming back again. Well, now the Democrats, they're now hitting the panic button because there are some Democrats, at least 40 or 50 of them, that are looking at the 2020 elections and thinking their political futures are hanging in the balance because they actually are Democrats. A lot of them in Trump won districts. Donald Trump at the top of the ballot, they fear, means that, okay, their opponent is hopefully going to be pulled in by a wave of Donald Trump. So, you know, that's the real news. You got this Democrat, Anthony. Uh, Brindisi, I think is his name from New York. You know, he took his concerns right to, you know, speaker and name only Pelosi. And he said to Politico, it's frustrating for me, someone coming from a district that was one of the districts that helped get us into the majority, having so much focus on things like impeachment or other issues that are divisive. 
We should be focusing on the kitchen table issues, he said, claiming that he and other freshman Democrats that agree with him that the agenda of the Democratic Party does not match their voter concerns. Their internal polling now reports that 54 percent of voters for the Democratic Party said that the Democrats were more focused on impeachment than any other policy. And only 10 percent of voters believe that impeachment should be their focus. And Democrats frustrated by a lack of clarity because of the impeachment process. They're never going to get it in the Senate. Just like even Dick Durbin said, stop with Justice Kavanaugh. You're not going to get it here either. You know, they don't know what they're doing. It's, it was an epic fail yesterday with Corey, against Corey Lewandowski. One point, he actually he just heard it there, trolling Eric Swalwell. Uh, yes, President Swalwell, because his campaign lasted like 20 seconds. And it descends into disarray. Nadler considering now holding Corey Lewandowski in contempt. Look, that's why nobody in their right mind should ever go before these committees anymore. They've all testified. They've all given, you know, hours and hours of their lives to these committees and to the special counsel. And then if you answer the questions and they don't like the way you answer them, they are the sole arbiter of whether they get to say you lied. And then they get to charge you. Remember, if you're Comey and you lie, it doesn't matter. If you're McCabe and you lie, it doesn't matter. If you're Hillary and you obstruct justice, it doesn't matter. If you're Hillary and you have top secret classified information on a a private server in violation of the Espionage Act and subsequent subsections, it doesn't matter. He's now considering holding former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski in, in contempt. Well, that means the next time anybody goes before these committees, the words, I plead the fifth, invoke the fifth. Because you don't have to incriminate yourself. And God forbid, if you just happen to say one little itsy bitsy thing that didn't match exactly what you said one of the other 14 times you've been there, well, then they're going to say perjury. And then you got that mess in your life. All right, as we roll along, you want to know how sick the rage, psychosis, Trump insanity has gotten? Now, we've had Madonna, you know, she thinks an awful lot about blowing up the Trump White House. Johnny Depp. Well, when's the last time an actor has killed a president in imagining himself as the next John Wilkes Booth? And now over there at Conspiracy TV, MSNBC, I'm sure nothing will happen. They have a panelist openly fantasizing about carrying out a terrorist attack on a Trump owned apartment building. And by the way, they're the same people who complain that Donald Trump's rhetoric inspires violence. Uh, And the Daily Caller points out MSNBC conspiracy channel panelists, actually MSDNC, revealed he fantasizes about plowing his car into Trump Plaza every single time he drives past it. This is just hours after a car crashed into the center in New Rochelle. Anyway, you have the panelist, executive editor of Above the Law, tweeting Wednesday morning that he always thinks about driving his car into Trump Plaza. Well, I guess he's on the right network, isn't he? All right, 25 till the top of the hour. Back to Israel for a second here. So what you have is basically a tie. That's the only way to describe it. And what you have is the need of either the left block or the right block getting the 61 votes, creating a coalition uh, that would be a governing coalition. And it's challenging. It looks like Prime Minister... Netanyahu's right block lead is one over the left block, but the left block is also 
assuming in all of this that they would partner with the Arab coalition, which is about 12 Knesset seats. And the bottom line is Rivlin will announce a final count. There's 95% of the vote is in the votes they're waiting for the military vote that tend to favor Likud. That is good for Bibi and either Gantz or Bibi will be given a mandate to form a government. I don't think one can be formed by either by Gantz, but I do think Bibi now What's happened here is you've got one guy, Lieberman, that is that basically holding up the entire works. And the main reason for this is his own personal ambition, from what I can tell. And Lieberman, basically, he wants to be prime minister. He's afraid that once Bibi gets another term, he's going to be there another five or ten years. He's now already, over the summer, he became the longest-serving prime minister um, who just passed the record of Ben-Gurion, after the 48 partition plan as again, the longest serving prime minister in Israeli history, but he's the right guy at the right place in the right time, especially with things heating up with Iran. So his goal has been, and the reason that BB won last time was trying to form a government. The reason he stopped it was from my take, his own personal ambition, because the only way he'd ever get to be prime minister is with some kind of deal. Cause his support is, you know, what 12 seats that's it not a lot more um and so he's forming with cans and the and the liberal the problem is he also has said publicly he will not form any coalition government with the arab coalition so now that means okay here we are and he's going to push for a unity government where they change in and out up and down it's i tell you what it is the it is the most the most screwed up system i've ever seen and it happens Pretty much now every election. And but we'll see. We'll wait. We'll watch and hope for the best in that particular case. Um, we do have I don't even know what to make of this because it's so funny. I mean, we got more news out of our good friend. I guess you just can't make this up. Ronna McDaniel just pointed out that Joe Biden said his tax credit will put 720 million women back in the workforce. Listen to what I'm saying. Sleepy, creepy, crazy Joe 30330. He says his tax credit will put 720 million women back into the workforce. Now, the problem is America's population, there's only about 330 million of us. So he's a mess. We'll talk with Bill O'Reilly about the race coming up as well uh, at the top of the next hour. You know, in other news, uh, Politico has an interesting piece out. Left-wing voter enthusiasm clearly shifting towards Elizabeth Warren, the other socialist, and fear is growing among Bernie backers that his recent slide in the polls is irreversible. Now there's a lot of finger-pointing going on. Bernie Sanders' fiercest supporters are sounding the alarm that the campaign is bogged down by disorganization, personality clashes, poor communication between state operations, national headquarters, and after a pair of setbacks this week, the acrimony of his staff in New Hampshire on Sunday and the loss of the working families party endorsement to Elizabeth Warren a day later. Well, now Sanders allies and former aides are worried that recent disappointments are not one-off stumbles, but rather, well, more evidence of a larger problem in his crazy bid for the white house. And the concerns are particularly acute in his neighboring state, New Hampshire, but it's also Elizabeth Warren's neighboring state. But don't worry, Joe 30330 is telling everybody his campaign that he doesn't need to win Iowa or New Hampshire and he'll be in great shape. That's not true. 
Anyway, the worries for Sanders comes as they enter a crucial phase, which is after Labor Day. Voters now begin to tune in to an election and begin to make up their minds and expectations for Sanders are sky high. Because remember, in New Hampshire, he defeated Hillary Clinton in 2016 by 22 percentage points. And Politico spoke with about a dozen current former Sanders advisors and allies, many of whom declined to discuss internal dynamics on the record for fear of retribution. But since Sunday, campaign staffers have been calling members of the steering committee, asking them not to speak to the media because stories about the internal shakeup were being published. Anyway, this is usually a grain of truth when you start to see these stories. In other words, the finger pointing has begun. That's probably just the beginning of this. Um, Jimmy Carter has weighed in, and it's not good for Joe 30330. Now, he's just weak shy of being 95 years old, and he said he doesn't believe that he could have managed the presidency at 80. And Carter then went on to say, talking about Biden 76, Bernie 78, each that would turn 80 during their terms of elected. I hope there's an age limit, he said, answering a question. And he said, if I were 80 years old, if I was 15 years younger, I don't believe I could undertake the duties that I experienced when I was president. Uh, yeah, but we have 720 million women will be back in the workforce, thanks to Joe 30330. Another new poll shows Andrew Yang actually beating Kamala Harris in California. That's a big number. Emerson poll. Andrew Yang getting some traction there. And so beating even the senator of that state, that's her state, California. Anyway, Yang was at 7%, slight edge over Kamala Harris, how far she has fallen, 6% among Democratic primary voters. When you donate money to a presidential campaign, what happens? The politician spends the money on TV ads and consultants, and you hope it works out. It's time to trust ourselves more than our politicians. That's why I'm going to do something unprecedented tonight. My campaign will now give a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for an entire year to 10 American families, someone watching this at home right now. If you believe that you can solve your own problems better than any politician, go to yang2020.com and tell us how $1,000 a month will help you do just that. This is how we will get our country working for us again, the American people. Wow. Listen, this party is off the rails. This is this is not a party. And we went through all of the money and the cost, you know, in the in recent days. It is expensive. It is unsustainable. It can never happen. If it does happen, we're in deep trouble because we don't have ninety three trillion dollars to spend on the Green New Deal. And if we spend it. Well, that means that we will be bankrupt and none of that is going to be good. By the way, there's going to be a Republican debate, sort of. It's going to host two Republican debates, Business Insider today. OK, nobody's going to watch and nobody cares. You got, let's see, Joe Walsh. I know nobody knows who Joe Walsh is. Joe Walsh thinks he's well known now that he's made the, the Sunday circuit and embarrassed himself. I mean, Joe Walsh is a walking train wreck. I mean, literally, yeah, I said all these stupid things, but yeah, I'm still running anyway. Nobody remembers Bill Weld, and he's a nice guy. I've met him over the years. He's smart. He's not going to be president. And neither is anybody else that wants to get into this race. It's not going to happen. And I don't care how many other people get in, and it's 
Trump is now 90% approval rating among his own base. So that's a pretty good deal. By the way, the president blitzed into California at a $15 million fundraiser, irritating celebrities and activists out there, wealthy Republicans in just the span of two days. That's a lot of money in two days. By the way, Ocasio-Cortez is flexing against the Democratic leadership by endorsing an incumbent's primary challenger. Whoopsie-daisy. I guess AOC is the real Speaker of the House, Pelosi Speaker in name only, which I've been saying. And Trump, you know, is now going after, okay, well, look at all the homelessness in Los Angeles and San Francisco. Well, we need to fix that too. So you've got a situation, you got Biden now being told by Jimmy Carter that he and Bernie are too old to be president. That's not a good situation for them. You got Democratic senators now preparing to revolt if Bernie or Warren wins the nomination. Now they got bigger problems. Now it looks like, quote, Senate Democrats privately warning that if Bernie or Elizabeth Warren win the nomination, they would likely face opposition from fellow Democrats to some of their biggest proposals. In other words, there's some common sense among Democrats. Sort of like Dick Durbin telling everybody as liberal and leftist as he is. Yeah, this impeachment idea of Kavanaugh is a dumb idea. It's really stupid. Now, Biden does lead the 2020 field, but you're seeing this now in every poll, and that is that Warren's support is growing, and it's growing fairly significantly. Biden leads the overall horse race from 31% Democratic primary voters, but Warren's now at 25. She's nearly up to the margin of error. Bernie down to 14. You got Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg is at 7%. Kamala, 5%. Yikes. This is a mess. Then you got Al Sharpton. Everyone's been kissing Al Sharpton's ring looking for his endorsement. Well, he gave a fiery speech about the race and said it was time to stop pitting old against young and that he preferred older candidates to anyone imposed on us by new liberals who are progressive on everything but race. Sounds like a shot at the squad to me. Anyway, the speech was at the weekend's Congressional Black Caucus Foundation Phoenix Awards dinner. He laid out the stakes for the presidential race, called for an end to the backbiting, infighting. We're fighting today through the worst form of racism and bigotry that we've seen since the 1800s, calling out Donald Trump. And going on from there, but then also destroy some of the Democratic candidates who are bad on race. We're not looking for, quote, better slave masters. I think he still works at the conspiracy channel MSDNC. Uh, Dick Morris had an interesting piece. Mandatory Medicare will doom the Democrats. I'm, I'm not sure, but it could. Elizabeth Warren railing against lobbyists, but a record shows she received big donations from them. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren failed to stand up for low-income Harvard employees during a 2009 layoff. Of course, she was using, you know, the issue of her ancestry uh, to claim minority status at the time. She was a Native American. Ancestry test missed 1,024. Not true. Fake news. Um, on the Iranian issue, all right, Pompeo's now meeting with the Saudis. The Saudis now have analyzed our photos and they now have concluded that the Iranian missile debris was found in Saudi Arabia is from the Iranians. And so now I would assume that there's some type of planned strategy being on board. But Hillary's VP running mate, 
Senator Tim Kaine blamed America for provoking the Iranian bombing on the and the attack on the Saudi oil fields. It's our fault. Really? You're going to blame Trump for that, too? Why? Because he's not trying to bribe them with one hundred and fifty billion dollars in cash and other currencies. Why? Because he won't sign on to a deal that would allow the Iranians in 10 years to get the nuclear weapons anyway, in spite of the 150 billion. The fact that that deal that that never allowed U.S. inspectors, that deal that didn't allow anywhere, any place, any time inspections. The the president now with his sanctions, we now have 40 percent inflation. And what you see is the population now rising up. And do we really care what, you know, Francis Macron says or Merkel has to say? I don't care what any of them think. But I will tell you that if the United States look, why does the United States need maybe to consider involvement? How many more drones are we going to let them shoot out of the sky? Let's look at other issues involved here. Okay, well, we're energy independent for the first time in 75 years, thanks to the president. And we now are the world's largest oil producer. That means the Straits of Hormuz are, well, strategically of little importance to us personally. We had John Hoffmeister, former CEO of Shell Oil on yesterday. Yeah, he said we have 200 plus years of energy and counting and we'll probably find more. But more importantly, if we can now outproduce Russia, we'll bring Russia to their knees. We don't need oil from the Middle East, but from countries that hate our guts. The Straits of Hormuz are less strategically important than ever before those narrow straits. So the, what the Iranians do there is not our business, except the free flow of oil at market prices. Well, that means that if they're able to disrupt that, meaning the Iranians, that's going to impact the entire global economy. And more directly, that's going to impact those that still rely on that oil, not us. And that means that's going to impact their economies because it's the lifeblood of every economy. And then from there... We've got to decide if we're going to let the Iranian mullahs pull that off. I don't think we should, and I don't think we will. All right, we got a lot to get to. we got a lot to get to. Bill O'Reilly at the top of the next hour. We're going to look at, talk to General Jack Keane, what's likely to happen with Iran. Um, we're putting more guys behind bars that are fighting in our military, in large part due to the rules of engagement of Obama. It is a national disgrace that we have people that work in air-conditioned offices that are determining the fate of guys on the battlefield that have to make split-second decisions. All of these cases, from my perspective, need to be reviewed. Well, there's going to be a push to get that to happen, uh, in part thanks to the work we've done on this show and Linda going down to Leavenworth and Eddie Gallagher's case and Clinton Lawrence's case and others. President Obama reportedly told Joe Biden directly, quote, you don't have to do this, Joe. You really don't. That is not a joke. That is a natural fact. I think Biden looked unsteady at many points. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. He's not the most polished speaker anymore. The president thinks, uh, my friend from Vermont thinks that. Watching his long, winding answers that don't really make sense in recent debates has also raised the question as to whether that has gotten worse 
and whether he is up for this. The fact is that the bills that the president, that the, excuse me, the future president here. There's a lot of people who are concerned about uh, Joe Biden's ability to carry the ball all the way across the end line without fumbling. Go to Joe 30330. He looked kind of unsteady and almost deer in the headlights. So what are we doing? What's going on right now? He's not that good at this. I mean, he's clearly not that strong a candidate thinking on his feet. Anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. I think there are some concerns and they've been man- they've been expressed by Democrats themselves. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Over whether Joe Biden is equipped to withstand a very grueling campaign. We choose truth over facts. I'm not going nuts. There are definitely moments where you listen to Joe Biden and you you just wonder. This is the United States of America. We've acted together. We have never, never, never been unable to overcome whatever the problem was. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much. All right, there it is. That is the new Republican ad again. Sleepy, creepy, crazy Joe 30330. Uh, now he's taking a bigger hit in the polls leads in one Warren creeping up daily. Uh, Bill O'Reilly, uh, joins us 15 number one best-selling books. Uh, next week he releases his new book entitled the United States of Trump, how the president really sees America guaranteed to be a bestseller. You can get it on amazon.com now, Hannity.com. If you like, uh, Mr. O'Reilly, sir, how are you? Welcome back to the program. Good. I want everybody to go to Bill O three three O one eight five two. Bill O three three O, which but it means nothing. <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, I think Vermont's beautiful this time of year. Well, you're in New Hampshire. Uh, we take truth over facts. I don't know which my favorite is, but you. I didn't even know. Apparently, you send out on BillOReilly.com Bill's message of the day. I'm like, is this right. like a Bible message? No, it's about Joe Biden. <laughs> Why is yeah, Joe Biden it's, leading? It's a, it's the way to get your day starting off right. Uh, give you a little wisdom um, to take into the office or into school, wherever you want to do. So I see Biden a lot differently than you do um, and other um, people who believe that uh, the Obama administration was appalling and uh, all that. I, I see Biden as a figurehead. I don't see him as a, a politician who really has the fire in the belly to do anything. So his whole life, he's been basically in federal government, elected in Delaware, and then uh, Obama basically chose him to, to because there was a little bit of nervousness about Obama's inexperience, and he wasn't an old hand. He needed somebody to guide him through the labyrinth that is Washington, and that's why Biden got it. But Biden himself, even if he were elected president, which is possible, wouldn't run the country. And people should understand that he would pick people to run the country for him. So it's exactly the opposite of Trump, who absolutely runs every part of the Trump administration. There's nothing that he doesn't run. Biden would be 180 degrees opposite of that. You see, look, I know some people say, well, we need to see your medical records. I'm like, I don't really need to see his medical records. I actually believe and this may surprise some people. I don't care about seeing anybody's medical records. Um, when Hillary Clinton was at ground zero and she collapsed, 
Yeah, we needed an explanation what happened there. And I know people didn't like it because I played it. And I'm like, this is a full on collapse. Why did she collapse? And, you know, I, I heard different stories at the time. I just that doesn't look good if a presidential candidate collapses. Now, that can be dehydration, little things like that. I get it. But I just look at Biden, Bill, and I see a guy that's aged 20 years since he left office. I, I think I, that I, Biden yeah. is every bit his 76 years. Well I, said. I think that he keeps himself physically in decent shape, but certainly, certainly he's not um, at the level of Hannity and O'Reilly when it comes to analyzing. Well, at least one of us, at least the Hannity part's true <laughs> on that case. Well, I work, um, you don't even, you don't do any exercise, do you? But put that. No, that's a, that's a total. That's okay. Totally what do you do? What, what, what kind of exercise do you do? I'm a pool guy. I'm a former lifeguard. Okay. How, how many days a week do you swim? I try to get in there five days a week. Okay, now I'm impressed. How many laps will you do? It depends how lazy I am. (laughs) But, Hannity, you see me. I got the same waist that I had when I was playing college football. I'm not so sure I buy that, but I'll I'll go along with it if you want me to. But I'm not buy it. Um, um, you know, I'm not going to Oprah's Weight Watching uh, Holistic Tour. I don't need that. I'm, a, I'm in decent shape. But anyway, Biden, see, see what people um, have to decide, what Americans really have to decide, was what kind of leader do you want? Um, do you want, you know, a descendant of Fidel Castro? Well, then you vote for Warren or Sanders. Do you want somebody who's a figurehead? Then you vote for Joe Biden. Do you want a guy who's like crazed to run the government? Then you vote for Trump. That's the leadership quotient that we're facing. You see, look, I think that it's so bad. And I look, I know that what was it Julian Castro in that last debate. Now, you thought the last debate was important. I can play you the greatest hits from that debate. And I can tell you when I play him, he did not because the expectations now are so low. I thought he sounded again, confused, confounded. You're talking I, about I, Biden now. Right. And then but it's Julian Castro. And then after the debate, Cory Booker saying, yeah, his age, he's he's not there. So right. they're well, making those them to say, I mean, he's the front runner. Look, Biden didn't do anything at the debate to disqualify himself. Therefore, it was a win for him because you're exactly right. The expectations are so low. I mean, it's I'm standing here, you know, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton were both formidable politicians, whether you like them or not. They were both. They are both very intelligent men and and they're quick on their feet. You don't have anybody close to that this time around. Now, Hillary Clinton, she wasn't quick on her feet, and she had all kinds of baggage that she dragged along with her on a campaign trail, which is why she didn't ignite. But the Democratic Party has nothing, nothing at this juncture close to what they have had the past 15 years. And and anybody... Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative has to acknowledge that. So therefore, they're going into this election with a big deficit. You see, but I I think you're I think what you're saying is predicated on a belief that Joe Biden and maybe there's some truth to it. But I think that truth is evaporating very quickly, that he is the, quote, moderate that he's trying to portray himself within this primary race. Um, I don't see it. He's bought into the new Green Deal. He says he's going to spend a couple of trillion dollars on it. I guess that he still is a believer in Obamacare. 
He'll say anything. He'll, Biden will say anything to get elected. Do you really believe that Joe Biden goes home to Delaware and looks at his wife, Dr. Jill, and goes, hey, I think we're all going to die in 10 years because of global warming? No, I don't. No, he doesn't. But he's, he but he's saying he'll spend up to $2 trillion on this nonsense. That's a lot no, of money, he Bill. Isn't. He isn't. As soon as he is elected, if he is, all right, Biden will go into the Oval Office and do absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I agree with that, too. He won't. He, I don't think he has the capacity to do it. He looks so he tired. It's not part of who he is. Now, he's going to have people on his staff that are going to be pushing him, and they're going to be able to get certain things in front of him that he'll do. But he's not uh, He's not Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren's frightening. What she would do to this country would be to collapse the entire economy of the United States of America. And that would lead to a worldwide depression. There was violence last night at the Beverly Hills Hotel in Los Angeles between pro and anti-Trump people. There was violence. There was a flag burned. That, believe me when I tell you, if this country goes into a depression or a severe recession, there is going to be violence in the streets. It's a, it is a scary proposition, but I think things are so politically divided right now that and, and you see the left. I mean, look at the New York Times bill this week. You would think that they're embarrassed. They're not because that is the Democratic Party. And the really pressure that's the Democratic Party. Oh, I, I absolutely. Put it, I put the crazy loony left at 25 percent, but they control the media, which is why you hear from them so much. But but Bill, look at Nancy Pelosi. She's not considered left wing enough. She's a left wing San Francisco but liberal. That, you just made my point for me, Hannity. No, but she is. She doesn't. She's telling the Nadler. But she's the and, moderate. And the Ocasio-Cortez's of the world is shut up up she's telling them to shut up bill you're missing my point if she's the moderate then that party is hardcore left she's not yeah, a but, moderate bill uh, no she isn't a moderate that's for sure but she's a practical politician all right she doesn't want to blow up the u.s economy because she understands it's the end of her party look what the new york times and cnn and msnbc have done what they have done is destroy the institution of journalism in America. You you agree with me on that, right? I don't think, but Bill, I said in 07, journalism in America is dead. These networks okay, have been biased, the Times and Post have been biased. So, so journalism in America is dead because of the Trump hatred that has, that has corrupted the process. The same thing is going to happen to the Democratic Party. If I say one thing, though, to go this far out. All right. Quick break. More with uh, Bill O'Reilly. BillOReilly.com is all things O'Reilly. All right. As we continue, Bill O'Reilly, one week from today, by the way, or one week from yesterday, his new book will be out. The United States of Trump, how Trump, how the president really sees America. You can find it on his website, Amazon.com, Hannity.com. I, I was hanging out there like I always am on the tallest tree up at the very top the little twig and hanging on to the leaf that stayed there from last fall. And I did it with the deep state story that we have now been proven right time and again on that the media ignored. And then in 07, I was doing a vetting of Barack Obama, as you know, that nobody else was doing. I had I had Newt Gingrich telling me my career is going to end over it if I keep it up because I was pushing too hard. But I was right. Let me ask you something, though. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. So I need your prediction. McCabe going to get indicted? 
I think when when the FISA report comes out and the Durham report comes out, because there'll be two big ones. Those are the two big ones. Right. Now they're going to have one on leaking. I don't see any scenario under which James Comey and guys like Andrew McCabe and Peter Strzok and probably with the Durham report, guys like Clapper and Brennan, but especially the first three are not indicted or I, I don't uh, see how it doesn't happen. Be indicted. DeGeneva thinks that too. Joe DeGeneva, very astute on it, as you know. Mm-hmm. He thinks that too. Now, let me ask you a second follow-up question. One last caveat on that, though. Go Bill, ahead. we have to assume here that they don't shred the Constitution, that we don't have a dual justice system, no, that but they'll Trump's go after their the own, department. and that we Trump's don't have... That, that, and I'm assuming we have equal justice and equal application of our laws, but with well, Hillary, we've learned that's not true. But go ahead. But Trump is in charge of the Justice Department. He has to say, you know, he, Trump's he out of this. Trump's not involved in any of this. This, this no, is all he, Barr. But, but Barr works for Trump. And the attorney general Trump, is going to make the call. The, pre- the president is, gonna is not going to involve himself in this issue. I could tell you right now. No, but tr- Barr works for him. And Barr are going to make a call. So if those, if McCabe and Comey, the top FBI guys, are indicted on felony charges, all right, does that shift the election to Trump. I think, uh, listen, regardless, let me say it in a different way, because I do believe that will happen. And I stand by that prediction with the caveat that I have. But and I really believe because the evidence is overwhelming. It's incontrovertible, just like Hillary had a rigged investigation and she did obstruct justice. Incontrovertible Russian uh, Russian dossier that was never vetted and verified was presented as verified. And they were warned ahead of time. So that's premeditated fraud on a court. Now, the specific answer to your question is, does it impact the 2020 election? Yep. I there's no doubt that the entire story that me and my ensemble cast have chipped away at for two and a half to three years, every detail will be proven. So far, we've not been wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll say so. I know for a fact it all happened. There's no ambiguity anymore, Bill. It happened. Right. So, yes, the answer is when the American people hear that story, I think it will impact the race. Okay, I got to run. But two things that we will will continue in the weeks to come. Joe is the radical extreme Democrat. He can't. I, I know you're giving him a little bit more of a pass than I think he deserves. I don't think he will have the capacity in this current environment. There's no moderate Democrats left. He will have to push hard left the entire way. The second thing is, is that I I do believe that they've got a problem that they have lost any sight of what is what is doable in the country. And their their rage is now driving them. But I got to roll Bill O'Reilly next week, by the way, we're doing the first interview for your book, The United States of Trump, how the president really sees America. Bill O'Reilly dot com, Hannity dot com, Amazon dot com. Thank you, sir, for being with us. All right. Looking forward to it, John. Thank you. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, uh, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. So we have our friends, friends of this program, Congressman uh, Louie Gomer to Texas and Duncan Hunter of California. So both of them traveled to Leavenworth Prison yesterday to meet with soldiers that are convicted of murder in combat zones. Now, we have highlighted many of these instances where these guys that are on a battlefield and, of course, the handcuffs that were put on them and the rules of engagement insanity of the Obama years and Clinton Lawrence's name comes to mind. I mean, this is a guy that takes over a platoon 
And sure enough, the week before, two weeks prior to this incident that he sent them to Leavenworth, well, there was an attack on that platoon and they lost the platoon leader and they lost a bunch of other people because a bunch of guys, terrorists that were on motorcycles. Yeah, they were basically suicide bombers on those motorcycles. So Clint Lorenz finds himself taking over that very specific platoon and lo and behold, the checkpoint is violated and two guys on a motorcycle are coming right at the platoon. Now he's got to make the split second decision. Well, do I do I assume that they're they're you know not part of any terrorist organization? Can I assume that they're not going to do what happened two weeks ago? He made the decision to defend his platoon. I mean, it's amazing how people can second guess guys that are in combat, you know, from the comfort of their offices and their air conditioned military courtrooms. It's ridiculous to me. And then, of course, other instances have taken place as well. Now, in the case of Clint Lawrence, well, we later found out, well, they didn't have IEDs then, but we did find their DNA on IEDs after the fact. That case should be reopened immediately. Anyway, also joining Congressman Duncan Hunter and Louis Gohmert on this trip was Sergeant Derek Miller. He's a military advisor to Congressional Justice for Warriors Caucus. And in 2011, Miller was convicted of murder, sentenced to life in prison for shooting and killing a Taliban operative who grabbed Derek's gun during an interrogation. After having lost eight years of his life at Leavenworth, he was finally paroled on May 20th. So my attitude is, okay, we don't have the will to do it and fight a traditional war anymore. That's fine. But we better develop the next generation of weaponry so we can push buttons in Tampa, Florida and beat back like we beat back the caliphate in Syria, ISIS. Anyway, they all join us right now. Um, Louis, good to talk to you. Duncan, good to talk to you. Sergeant, good to talk to you as well. Well, Sean, thank you for having us on. But, you know, of course, Duncan had fought over there for us. He had seen injustices occur, so he was already on this. But uh, what got me onto this issue was you and Lauren and Linda. And uh, I started hearing from y'all about uh, folks that have been unfairly treated and, you know, having sentenced people to prison before as a felony judge, uh, I just can't stand the thought of the kind of injustices that we were hearing. And so that's what started uh, this caucus, that that concern uh, Duncan and I had. And Derek Miller that you mentioned, you, you outlined his case so well, but, uh, you know, I test when I testified before the parole board for Derek, they said, well, he'd have to have a job. And I said, well, he's had three offers. And if he doesn't want those, I'll hire him at my office. And Derek is working with us. He has been helping us zero in on cases of terrible injustice. Uh, but it, it comes back to you lighting a fire over this issue. And thank you so much for doing so. Uh, well, let me go to Sergeant Derek Miller. Sergeant, you spent eight years in prison. It, so you yes, know sir, very well what I'm talking about here. Am I is is what I'm saying true that during the Obama so years, the rules right of engagement, you. you had handcuffs on you and that you're not able We're sending you to war and then we're not allowing you to do your job. You're absolutely correct. And that's the sentiment that is going on throughout the military. These soldiers are being asked to be in place in impossible situations where they're making split second life or death decisions for themselves and their brothers and sisters in arms. And when they go into these courtrooms, there's such misconduct with evidence not being disclosed, being tampered with, and unlawful command influence. 
And to find men up here on Capitol Hill who are just as adamant about defending the freedoms, the Constitution, and the soldiers themselves is amazing. And uh, that's why I'm so grateful to Congressman Gomer and Con- Congressman Duncan Hunter for starting this caucus. And, making and this Congressman Hunter, you, you, you served yourself. Is there anything I'm saying here that's tr- wrong? Do you not agree with no, me that, right. that we give up on these wars, right. we politicize them, and, and then we have to ask, well, why are we asking our sons and daughters to fight them? You know, if, if, if you're going to go to war, we should go to war, and, and hell should have no, have, have no fury like the American military going in and utterly destroying somebody if you want to mess with us. And then we, we should not stay there. We, we shouldn't try to, to help if, if the help is not wanted. But one of the bigger issues with, with what happened with Gallagher and Derek and Clint Lawrence and Tom Hatley in these cases, we're going to show to the, the president of the United States and say, hey, we, we believe in these guys is the prosecutorial misconduct. The, the, the system in the military is completely uh, rigged to go against the warfighter. One of these guys had nurses in his jury. So you're supposed to be judged by a jury of your peers. If I'm a, a military person, I don't want a stockbroker and a teacher and a stay-at-home mom looking at my combat case. I also don't want colonels that are nurses or dentists looking at my case either. I want to be judged by my peers, people that have been in the same situation that I had, had seen the same thing, had walked the same streets and know what I went through None of these guys are being judged like that. And in Eddie Gallagher's case, his, his lawyers told me if they didn't have Marines and that jury, he would have lost anyway, even with all the pressure. Listen, I'm going to tell you something about the Gallagher case because I was following it. We talked about it. And I remember Bernie Kerrig was active in, in fighting for his defense. And I said, Bernie, look at how they're writing this up in the newspaper, that you've got seven Navy SEALs turning on one guy. I said, I've never heard of that before. And but when you get to the bottom of it, they never expected the other guy was going to say, no, I'm the one that actually did it. They could have actually well, figured how, that out ahead of time. But no, they have to put this how, guy in solitary confinement. And if it weren't for President Trump, he would still probably be incarcerated. Such an outrage. And in addition to the people already mentioned, uh, Duncan mentioned uh, First Sergeant Hatley. I mean, this poor guy. He was going to give an Article 15 nonjudicial punishment to a staff sergeant who didn't want it, but he had hit a lieutenant in the chest. This first sergeant was charged with four counts of murder based on what the staff sergeant said. There were never any bodies recovered. The CID went through the community trying to find if anybody was missing. Nobody was missing. There were no names, no bodies, no forensic evidence whatsoever, and yet he He's already done, what, 11 years or so in prison for premeditated murder? It's an outrage. But as we've heard, though, uh, President Obama on down made clear they wanted people punished uh, so that we could look good to Karzai and others in Afghanistan, that we punished our soldiers and were really friendly to the Afghans. That That's nuts. Let me give another case, because I know what you guys are trying to do here and that you want constructive changes to the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And I think Sergeant Miller is correct in that we ought to have those that actually know what the hell they're talking about and have lived in these situations and having had made similar split second decisions. I think they may be better peers than people in a comfortable office uh, that has no no knowledge of any real combat. 
But, you know, look at the case of Officer Hatley, Army Master Sergeant, served nearly 11 years of a 25-year sentence at Leavenworth. He was convicted of killing four detainees in a war zone in Iraq during a routine patrol in 07. And the Army Criminal Investigation Command did not find one shred of physical or forensic evidence to suggest that any men were missing, much less killed. There were no bodies, no brass, no evidence of any crime. Yep. Additionally, the they conducted extensive interviews with the family members of the detained men who started, who stated that no one from their family was missing. They conducted interviews with neighbors of surrounding areas. They stated no one from their neighborhood was missing. They interviewed the man who owned a farm who's, where the bodies were allegedly disposed of, and he stated he had no knowledge of any killings or heard about anyone being killed. The only evidence was from compelled statements from a couple of soldiers who claimed yep. that Four men of Middle Eastern descent were killed. Okay, this guy served 20 years in the Army, you know, with an otherwise outstanding and excellent record as a military. Yeah, decorated for valor. Two bronze stars, Army Commendation Medal of Valor. I mean, a a Ranger tab and much more. How do we do that Uh, to somebody? John Hatley is the tip of the spear. He is exactly what you envision when you think of a U.S. Army soldier. And the fact that he was railroaded like this shows that the prosecution came in with a narrative and they forced those younger soldiers, threatened them with the prosecution of life in prison. I just printed off an affidavit from one of the witnesses who said, I received a 25-year or 20-year agreement off paper to testify against John Hatley, and that is why I did what I did. Yep. It's scary. It's scary that they will push whatever narrative they need to to get that win at the expense of the soldiers. Not about winning in this case. The only ones we should be concerned about winning over are the enemy. Um, uh, Anyway, I'm glad you all are putting this together. Uh, Sergeant, thank you. Congressman Gomer, thank you. Congressman Hunter, thank you. And if we can help in any future endeavors to get innocent guys out of Leavenworth, let us know. Thanks so much, Sean. All right, as we continue, let's hit the phones. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, let's say hi to David, North Carolina. David, hi. How are you? Welcome to the program. Pretty good, John. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. What's going on? So you are my leading authority and trusted uh, source on oh, the boy. state corruption. A lot of pressure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I want to know, is it true that Trump is actually going to declassify the FISA application and the Bruce Orr 302s, and he's going to uh, declassify the unredacted Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, uh, McCabe, and Comey text messages? Or like, are we going to get to see some of that? Remember, the president gave all of that information and the ability to unredact to the attorney general Barr. Uh, my take is, and I think actually a good decision by the president, that he has handed it off to a capable law enforcement professional and prosecutor by the name of Bill Barr. Um, Do I think we're going to see a lot of this and see it sooner than later? Absolutely. I I don't think we get through October, no way, without seeing the IG report on FISA abuse. Here are the facts as we know them. Okay, were James Comey signed the first FISA application. All right, James Comey. He was involved along with Strzok and and others in the cover-up of Hillary Clinton's crimes, the Espionage Act violation. Even Comey, July 5th, 2016, admitted that that's true. They had top-secret classified information on the server. That's We would go to jail for that. Then we know that Hillary obstructed. We would go for, to jail for that. Now we go to the FISA application. We know on at least three, I can confirm three separate instances in which Comey, 
The DOJ, the FBI under Obama were warned that the dossier was unverified. And we also know when the FBI finally got around to their spreadsheet looking into the dossier that they determined 90 plus percent of it they could prove is not true, but likely 100 percent of it was not true. So they didn't do it beforehand because if they concluded that months after they signed the initial couple of warrants, that would mean that they never verified anything. But they did swear, you know, as law enforcement professionals that it was verified. So that would be premeditated fraud. And remember Andrew McCabe's statement, no, no dossier, no FISA application. They wouldn't have gotten it. And they were denied once. So the answer is premeditated fraud on a FISA court. That is, these are the facts at this point. Nothing that I just said to you is in dispute. The evidence exists. We presented it to everybody. So now you're asking me, well, what will Barr do? If we have a constitutional republic still, Hillary will, in fact, uh, face consequences for the Espionage Act violations and subsections, similarly obstruction. And yeah, those that signed on to after multiple warnings, the premeditated fraud on the FISA court. Yeah, uh, they would be tried and in, well, first indicted, tried. And I believe the evidence would convict. That's my humble belief. But everyone is presumed innocent. So um, the evidence is not in dispute. We've been right. We nailed the story. We nailed it a thousand percent. The evidence has now borne out everything we've said is true. So and then I think the second part of the story is going to be the Durham report, which will probably be more devastating than even the Horowitz report. Does that answer your question? Uh, yes, but it does prompt a follow up of if there aren't federal indictments, how do we make America just again? You don't. All right. Fair enough. You don't. It would be a very, very tragic, sad day if they don't have the courage with a mountain of evidence like this to do their job. I am hopeful that people that respect the Constitution, the rule of law in this country, and want to preserve it for future generations, that they'll do their job. I think the case is so overwhelming that they, they're not going to get away with trying to protect their own. Anyway, I hope that helps you. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. In the final hour of the Sean Hannity Show. So, uh, Ben, even if we do uh, have complete confidence in the intel community's uh, conclusion that the Iranians uh, were the ones that struck these Saudi oil fields, and we find out over the next few weeks that they, in fact, do have compelling evidence, does that still justify the United States uh, going? to war with Iran, uh, taking military action against Iran because of strikes they made against Saudi Arabia? No, uh, I absolutely do not believe, Joe, that that would be in the interest of the United States to go to war with Iran on behalf of an attack on Saudi oil infrastructure. It strikes me as a very bad idea. And the reality, Joe, is we are where we are because of what Trump has done over the last couple of years. This was the predictable consequence of pulling out of a nuclear deal that was working, of escalating the sanctions on Iran over the objections of all of our closest allies who were with us in that process, particularly the Europeans, of heaping threat upon threat on the Iranians. At the same time that we backed an open-ended Saudi war in Yemen uh, against the Houthis that has killed tens of thousands of people. Mr. President, if you raise more sanctions on Iran today, you are now 
I did. We'll be uh, adding some very significant sanctions onto Iran. And what will they include, sir? We'll be announcing it over the next uh, 48 hours. And you said that there will be a further announcement on Iran. Are you looking at a military strike? We'll see what happens. What are the options, Mr. President, that you're considering? You just said that there were some very bad things. Well, there are many options, as you know, Phil. There are many options. And uh, there's the ultimate option, and there are options a lot less than that. And we'll see. We're in a very powerful position. Right now, we're in a very, very powerful position. You say the ultimate option. No, I'm saying the ultimate option, meaning go in war. No, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about that ultimate option. No. Uh, As to Iran, I'm hoping that uh, Secretary Pompeo can pull together a coalition that will act in a fashion to change Iran's behavior. I support the idea of working on a regional coalition. I would like to see the president go to the U.N. and make the case that Iran's behavior is an act of war against Saudi Arabia and must be dealt with firmly. Whether or not the United Nations would respond, I don't know. As to Iran itself, I appreciate the effort of the president to be measured when it came to the drone uh, attack. But the point I'm trying to make is not what I think, it's what the Iranians think. And clearly, they have not gotten the message. This attack on the oil refinery, by any reasonable definition, is an act of war. It is attacking the world economy, the stability of the oil markets throughout the world. And in addition to attacking a refinery in Saudi Arabia, the Iranians are increasing enrichment putting them closer to a bomb. Should a military strike be on the table right now as an option against Iran by the U.S. uh, specifically, Congresswoman, or do you think no? Congress uh, has the constitutional uh, right to declare war. The president doesn't have it. Secretary of State doesn't have it. And Saudi Arabia certainly doesn't have it. I think we um, need to make sure that the American people understand that this administration that lies about uh, weather maps um, or crowd sizes cannot be trusted uh, to give us the full information we need to be able to make a decision um, whether we should be going to war or not with Iran. Uh, we are not in a position um, to think about another endless war. Uh, and I really hope that my colleagues in Congress are going to pressure this administration to take a step back uh, and figure out how we um, use diplomacy in de-escalating the situation. All right, 25 to the top of the hour. Congresswoman Omar advocating, oh, no, we can't strike back. We can't do a thing. Okay, they're going to shoot our drones out of the air. They're going to take one tanker after another hostage. And and we're going to allow them to disrupt on the narrow Straits of Hormuz, the free flow of oil at market prices, which will impact the world economy and everybody else in the free world because the lifeblood of every economy is energy, oil, gas. We're going to let the Iranian mullahs stop that. Oh, and it's Trump's fault because he accelerated the sanctions against Iran. No, Donald Trump, and I don't really care what Macron or Merkel have to say about the Iranians because they were part of that idiotic Obama-Biden deal, which gave $150 billion in cash and other currencies to the Iranian mullahs that chant death to America, death to Israel, want to wipe Israel and the U.S. off the map. Uh, the deal that would allow the Iranians anyway in 10 years, it expires to produce nuclear weapons. It doesn't stop them. Uh, The deal that wouldn't allow any U.S. inspectors and the deal where you don't have 
uh, anywhere, anyplace, anytime inspections so the Iranians can hide from everybody what they're really doing, which is what they're doing. So the idea we will do nothing is ridiculous. The idea that this is Trump's fault. Well, there might be some truth to the fact that Donald Trump's not appeasing him, them, like others have, and trying to bribe his way uh, towards a better relationship with mullahs that pretty much believe in a convert or die sick philosophy that have no problem, you know, wiping Israel or the U.S. off the map. And it's now a matter of understanding real evil in our time. And because of the economic pressure, well, the Iranian economy is blowing up. And yeah, hopefully at some point we might see people within Iran move to rightly overthrow the mullahs and uh, hopefully come back to the world community with better relationships. And we're not going to allow radical mullahs with nuclear weapons to possibly perpetrate a Holocaust in modern day because that radicalism, well, that would justify the sick use of nuclear weapons. That's a bad idea. Anyway, joining us now, General Jack Keane, retired four-star chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, Fox News senior strategic analyst. Uh, anything about what I just stated in this situation that is not true, sir? No, I totally agree with uh, your summary there. I mean, the American people have to understand the significance of what has just occurred. Uh, it's not only an attack on the largest oil fields uh, in the Middle East and a, an attack on one of our allies, Saudi Arabia. It is, as you suggested, an attack on the stability of the world's economy. And since 1945, the United States has had as a core national interest to maintain and safeguard the flow of Middle East oil because it helps to stabilize and support the world's economy, which is somewhat dependent on it. And for that reason, we must respond. The Iranians have conducted an egregious act of war on the world's economy. And as such, they are challenging who is going to control the Middle East oil flow. And that is national interest U.S., and for those who are saying this is about Saudi Arabia, certainly it is. But it's more than that. This is about the world's economy. And as such, I think there are a couple of things we got to do. One, fix the air defenses in Saudi Arabia and other places because the Iranians will not give up in disrupting this oil flow. Second thing, go to the U.N., lay out the declassified evidence of what has happened and get international support for what the Iranians have done, increase sanctions, and then begin to build a coalition to conduct the retaliatory strike. Now, Sean, if we're going to conduct the retaliatory strike, we cannot let this stand or else they will continue to disrupt. The strike is not an all-out war against Iran's military, but it is a limited attack. But let me caveat it. It has got to be sufficient enough to impose costs on the Iranians to deter them from future disruption activities in impacted the Middle East oil flow. And I've got some concern here because what I'm hearing from my sources in the Pentagon that we may be repeating the mistake we made in Syria after the chemical attack during the Trump administration when we did not conduct a strong 
attack to deter Assad from... Well, the president did the second time, and then the president did wipe out the caliphate in Syria by literally working backwards town, city after city, and driving them out of Syria for the most part. That's not my point. My, My point is this. The Pentagon painted a picture to the president that had so much strike, and they pushed him to an option that was weak, and it did not deter Assad from conducting another chemical attack. I believe the Pentagon is doing much of that from my sources, again, right now, presenting options to the president that the option to deter sufficient enough cost on the Iranians, they're exaggerating the risk associated with those options in terms of this will lead to all-out war. The Iranians will begin to attack all of our bases in the Middle East. I think that's an exaggerated assumption, and we've got to make certain it's limited to be sure. It's not all-out war on Iran's military, but it's sufficient enough. The president is not going to get us into an all-out war. He won't sign on for that. But the president, I believe the strategy that we did see successfully unfold in Syria would be the same strategy with Iran, perhaps with more difficulties, as I think they're, it's obvious their military capabilities are greater. They have their cut forces. They have their revolutionary guard. You know, if we're going to look at it in just a very narrow self-interest type of way, a lot of people say, well, what do we care? You know, because of the president's policies, we are now the world's number one producer in energy, oil and gas. We're number one. No country outproduces us because of the president's policies. Number two, we're energy independent for the first time in 75 years. You know, we had the CEO of Shell Oil on the show yesterday, John Hopmeister. We have we have enough oil, gas, coal for 200 plus years. We don't need foreign oil. That's not what is at play here. The Straits of Hormuz, well, there'll always be a geopolitical component, national security component, only because, well, a, a large enough percentage of the world's energy passes through those narrow straits. Problem is, and the reason the U.S. would have to get involved in this, and the only reason is because if the world economy, if the if there is a disruption in the free flow of oil at market prices, that means the people we do business with, that, that means they are going to be negatively impacted. That involves then that now the consequence of such as the United States gets hit by proxy, not because we need the oil. Now, I do believe, General, that we have a situation where the U.S., Israel, the Saudis, much as I don't look like their human rights record, um, the Egyptians, General al-Sisi, King Abdullah of Jordan and the Emirates, they have now created a coalition to fight back against Iranian hegemony. And I think United the Iranians have no shot. What do you think? No, that's true. I mean, this administration has gone into the Middle East as early as July 2017. And the president said, I stand with you against the number one strategic threat in the Middle East, and that is Iran. And I will be with you. And we tried to stitch together a formal alliance called the Middle East Strategic Alliance. And we haven't been able to put together that formal alliance. But nonetheless, there is an informal alliance against the uh, against the Iranians. I, I don't disagree with anything you just said, Sean, but he, I, I want to make my point so the audience understands clearly what I'm saying. If the president had to do it again, I know for a fact he would have hit Assad stronger on the first attack as a result of the chemical attack. He would not have selected the option 
that the president that the Pentagon is recommending. I fear that they will push an option on him again that exaggerates the risk, and but yet it's not going to be tough enough to deter them. That is my message. Listen, I just think the look. You can't shoot out American drones out of the sky and there not be consequences. You you can't take you know piracy on the high seas and and literally hijacking all of these tankers. You can't get away with that. Blowing up the Saudi oil refinery areas, cutting their production in half. That has to be answered. Um, I did see that you wrote a piece that the Saudis are not totally convinced yet. Well, who would they then suspect considering the Yemeni rebels are fighting a war due to the Iranians who are fighting a proxy war and providing all of this, providing all the weaponry to attack Saudi Arabia? No, they, they are convinced now. They finished the forensics on the weapons that were, that, they, that attacked them. They've gone to all 20 plus uh, points of impact. And they, they're all Iranian weapons. Uh, we have shown them the evidence of the points of origin in Iran from where the attacks have come from. And then we have showed them some other much cl- more classified things that demonstrate that the Iran's have unequivocally conducted, planned, and executed this attack. The Saudis are 100% on board. One of their senior generals said this morning in Saudi Arabia at their time that this is their 9-11 and they must respond. So no doubt that they're with us. This is no lack of spine on their part. Uh, They will participate with us and and are going to be very willing participants. They lack the capability that we have, to be sure. But nonetheless, they're they're obviously going to participate. And I hope others do as well. Uh, I appreciate your insight, General. As always, thank you for being with us. We'll be watching. We'll be monitoring daily. 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. All right, we've had a lot to get to today. Obviously, the results out of uh, Israel, as we have uh, outlined for you in the the coalition, seems to be one vote ahead of the left-wing coalition. Very tight. Calls for unity government. Uh, but it seems like the conservatives have a line behind the prime minister, which would be a good thing. They have the single most screwed up system I've ever seen in the world. There's no, there's no other explanation for this. Uh, all right, let's get to our phones. Rich Houston, Texas, uh, which I understand is being pounded with uh, two feet of water. Is that true? Uh, it is in certain sections. It's actually primarily to the south and east of the city right now. Uh, and hopefully everybody tries to stay dry enough, uh, but it's not nearly as bad as what we had heard. So that was the good news. Okay. So what's on your mind today? Sean, I've been in the energy business uh, primarily my whole career, and and I had been in oil and gas. I actually tried to call you one time from Williston, North Dakota. I saw a sign showing $17 an hour to be a door greeter at Walmart, which I thought was just amazing at the time. Uh, Since that point, I, I actually left oil and gas, and I'm in the renewable side, um, most of my time is out on the wind turbine end of it. And I wanted to call to let you know there there are significant problems in the renewables, specifically uh, on wind and solar, both sides. And I would like to bring everyone's attention. Last year in the Midwest, they had a horrific event in the wintertime, which basically shut down all of your renewables. So all solar and all wind just basically stopped because you have this uh, 
tremendous cold front which came in and lasted an extended period of time. And I've talked about this with some of the renewable people who sit on the boards and they say, yeah, the dirty little secret is we cannot do without fossil fuels for literally as long as we can see it in the distant future because we don't have any way to be able to protect ourselves. So you've got states like Iowa that next year or through 2020, 40% will be wind-driven, wind-generated power, which is fantastic. But God forbid if they get a cold snap and shuts everything down. And then in addition to that, they have issues, for instance, blades. Now, these blades are about 90 meters long. I mean, they're significant uh, blades that are that are turning in the wind, as you can imagine. And they've had significant problems. And that's one of the big things going on right now is repair of some of the older units that have been out there for 10 and 12 years. They're actually having to replace blades uh, due to faults. So it's something we all Listen, have to look I, I'm at. I'm going to say this, and you would know better than I. So let, And you're right. I remember reporting on the Walmart greeter, 70 bucks an hour. Not a bad, not a bad salary because, and you can confirm, we had people, I, I said on the air innocently one day, I said, if I was out of work, I wasn't making enough money and I'd go to North Dakota. Or I'd go to yep. Texas, and they're yep. training truck drivers and to how to do it, and they're offering eighty grand a year to start, and then as much overtime as you can take. And to yep. me, that would be transformative if I'm making forty, forty-five grand a year. And lo and right. behold, it, the next thing I know, people are calling me saying, "Yeah, I just did what you said, a, you know, six months ago, and I'm here in North Dakota, and you were right, and it's working out great." Now that we had yep. John Hopmeister on yesterday, and he's the former CEO of Shell. And he says we have 200 plus years minimum of natural gas, oil, coal, that we can be energy independent. We're now the number one producer of energy worldwide. It is the single greatest hope for our safety and security. We won't depend on nations in the Middle East that hate us for the lifeblood of our economy. The Straits of Hormuz and what the Iranians do in this very, very narrow passageway with a, a large percentage of the the world's daily need for energy uh if they control it well it won't impact us except that it impacts the free flow of oil at market prices and that if our if our allies and friends get hurt well the world economy gets hurt we're not going to let them get away with that but more yep. importantly the american people will raise their standard of living because we're talking about now career jobs a career trajectory two, three, four times what people would otherwise be making. And that is the single greatest opportunity we have to forever, for the next two decades, grow our economy. And for the working people in this country, I love it. For the country and our security, I love it. Why don't we do it? That's the question, Rich. Well, Sean, I, I, I'd like to, to kind of follow up on that because I, I want to tell you one of the, the most unused markets currently in, in fossil fuels is natural gas. And to use uh, kind of the, the, the thought of T. Boone Pickens, of all, of all people who recently passed away, right. T. Boone's was a, a big proponent for natural gas. If you were to fly into Williston, North Dakota, and go in at night, you'll notice all the flares where they're gassing off the flares. They do that because there's basically no way to collect it and move it. And it's, it's a huge untapped natural resource. And people say, well, why would you burn it off? It's because there's no pipeline. Imagine that. There's no mm -hmm. way to collect it. You can't, you can't put it in a tank and, and take it from truck from area to area. If that could be used and utilized in a proper way, we would be absolutely, completely, and very cleanly 
100% energy independent, and I mean totally upon our own, and then be able to sell so much that uh, we wouldn't be having a discussion about renewables. We have it. We have renewable. Natural gas is a renewable energy. People don't look at it. It's absolutely factual. It's also clean burning. Why does why yeah. don't we I look, I'll never understand for the life of me in New York, upstate New York, really now for a couple of decades has been financially depressed. The single greatest boom the state of New York could ever have is literally natural gas. Pennsylvania is doing it with great success and great prosperity. People in Pennsylvania are making a lot more money than they used to make. We could in New York can be doing this. But because of environmental extremism and radical left wing policies, they won't allow fracking in New York state. OK, then people continue to leave New York state. I'll give you the last word. Yes. Yes, it, it's absolutely true. And if you look at that, it's known as the Utica play. Very well known. Tremendous reserves. The state of New York has faltered in their way of, of instead of taking advantage of it, they let everybody go south to Pennsylvania down into West Virginia, and now into Ohio, where they are making best use of it. So even if you look at some of the major players in that area, where do you think the, the jobs are going to go? Where do you think drilling's going? And then beyond that, look mm -hmm. at what happens. It becomes feedstock for other things. So when you look at companies like Shell, where did they just put in a, a multi-billion dollar new factory? They put it in Ohio. They put it as close as they could to their natural resource. It just makes common sense. Anyway, I appreciate it, Rich, and, and thanks for all you do. You know, all the people that provide our energy every day, we take, you know, like everything else, I think we take for granted everything we have in this country. It would raise the standard of living of every American. If, and it's right under our feet. You know, what is it? Go back to the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, Texas gold. What is it they say in that thing? Texas tea. Texas tea. That's for Americans. That's our, those are our resources. All right, back to our phones. Uh, as we say hi to Jeff in New York. Jeff, how are you? The all new AM 710 WOR. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, I was listening to that. It makes me think so much. I was in the environmental engineering business forever and uh, fracking and in the renewables that he was speaking of. The one secret I thought nobody ever talks about is that it's all subsidized by the government because it doesn't make it's not efficient like oil and gas is. It's uh, crazy that way. But the reason why I called was um, Iran. The question I have for you. My dad's been in the Air Force for 40 years, which says I've been in there for 50 years since he's retired and still tells me what to do. But yeah. uh, the Iranian or the Saudi Arabia has our F-15s. I believe they have the F-22s. They've trained with us forever. If we have proof positive, why are we not giving them the intelligence, let them go over there and take care of their own problems with Iran and wipe out the Iranian Air Force completely? It's a Look, I, I, because I don't think the Saudi Arabia, well, number one, we don't want a war with the Saudis and the Iranians and probably not trying to burst your bubble here, but I had to guess That's the right. Iranians would probably win that war. Here's the problem. Look at the geography. Look how close we are now to Israel and Egypt and Jordan. You know, the one little thing that's been happening that nobody's noticing is the Israelis with the United States. That's Trump and Netanyahu. Well, they now have a moment in history that had not existed before. And that is that the Egyptians are with us, El Sisi, and we have Abdullah and Jordan. And whatever you think about MBS, I'm not a fan and I'm not a fan of Saudi Arabia and the treatment of women, gays, lesbians, Christians and Jews. But there's an alliance against Iranian hegemony. 
the problem, you know, like Tulsi Gabbard saying something like, you know, we're we're basically a puppet of the Saudis. That's not it at all. We don't need anything from the Saudis like we once did. We don't need their oil anymore. We can be energy independent. That is a huge plus for us. That is a national security coup for us. But the free flow of oil at market prices matters to us because if other countries are impacted with the lifeblood of our economy now being cut off by the Iranian mullahs, well, that impacts the world economy. And there's too much interconnection now that we can't be in a situation like that without our involvement. And if it's the U.S. and it's the Saudis and the Israelis and the Egyptians and Jordanians, yeah, I don't think Iran is going to take all of them on because they'll be obliterated. And Trump is not going to send in forces. He's going to bomb the living hell out of them. That's what he's going to do. And I, well, I think that. locked and loaded is a telegraph that that's a, that's pretty much the strategy. That's what's going to happen. I don't understand why we have to use U.S. Air Force. Why can't we let our friends, who's actually their country, do it for themselves? We've trained them. We've given them everything they need. I, I just gave you the answer. I don't think the Saudis can do it alone. <laughs> right. my, my answer is I don't think they can do it alone. And now you're risking a conflict because the Iranians are already fighting a proxy war with the Yemeni rebels. You're right. now risking something that could turn into a disaster in the region. And you got to be a little ahead of the curve here. And you got to prevent that from happening. You know, and look, if I had to bet, Sometime, probably sooner than later, the Iranians are going to they're going to suffer the consequences for their actions lately. Shooting out a drone, taking these tankers hostage and and the piracy in this narrow waterway and now attacking the, the Saudi facilities. I'm telling you, it's this isn't going to end well for them. All right. All right well, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, toll free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, John, Minnesota. Next, Sean Hannity show. What's up, John? Uh, it's an honor to talk to you, sir. Uh, I listen to you all the time. Um, I'm calling about uh, the, these new red flag laws and uh, the the war on our Second Amendment. Um, really kind of upsets me. And, and uh, any support from Trump on these uh, Second Amendment policies, I, I won't vote for him. Look, I don't I don't think red flag laws are I think they're a non-starter. That's my opinion. As After seeing, watching, hearing the president and what he's saying and what he's saying publicly, I think, look, there's, there's look at all the recent shootings. There's not one of them that I know of that would have been triggered this way. For example, um, even the background check issue. Yeah, they got it. And there was nothing that was going to stop these people from getting guns. And I, I don't think it's more gun laws that we need. Now, I think we can do more. I mean, the president actually is proposing something as it relates to, you know, the homelessness and the mental illness. The president proposed it, proposed a federal homeless task force for L.A. and San Francisco. Now, if somebody's mentally ill and drug addicted, you know, there's no telling what those people are going to do in terms of harming innocent people and to protect people. Yeah, people are going to need guns. But more importantly, you got to keep guns out of the hands of those that are mentally ill. Um, there's no stronger supporter of the Second Amendment than me. Now, maybe they would add the tra the gun show. Maybe they close up, quote, the loophole hole that everyone talks about. I don't see that it's impacted any of the shootings that I can recall now. I don't have them all in my head. Um, in other words, that you need a background check there. But I think you can have instantaneous background checks. I don't have a problem with the background check. I do have a problem with people with mental illness at getting a hold of guns. I also have a problem when people are not trained in, in the safety and use of a firearm. You know, people ask me all the time, well, you're into guns. I'm like, yeah, well, I've been shooting them since I'm 10. I'm more of a pistol guy than a rifle guy. And 
they'll ask, well, what, what kind of gun do you do I get? An AR, or an AK, and they start throwing out these names that they've heard. An Uzi. I've had that question asked to me. My answer is, well, what gun do you want to be trained in the use of? One of the greatest things that does exist in this country, the USCCA, their advertisers, the NRA, these groups, people that are gun enthusiasts, they are so more than willing to teach you how to be a responsible and safe gun owner. I urge anybody, if you're going to get a gun for protection, take lessons, learn how to fire it. Every range in the country has people that will be more than willing to share a lifetime of knowledge with you so you can be a responsible gun owner. Does that make sense? I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm glad you brought up mental health. I'm actually a mental health uh, professional. Um, but, the, you know, there, there is a problem when, when, it, when you talk about people selling guns, you know, when they buy a gun and then they sell it to their friend. You know, that's a lot, a lot of how these things are happening. It happened to my friend. I mean, let me ask you this. If you're at a gun show and you want to buy a gun, would you care if they did an instant background check on you? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Thank you. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. All right, big breaking news. Deep State, Mark Meadows, Sarah Carter, Joe DeGeneva, Victoria Tunsing, Greg Jarrett. Also, Jeff Lord, Dan Bongino, Matt Gates, and the issue of the slander and smear and attempt to impeach even Justice Kavanaugh, Dr. Gina Loudon, Carrie Severino. It's all coming up tonight, 9 Eastern, Hannity, Fox News. We'll see you then. Thanks for being with us back here tomorrow. 